0: Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you once again to the young ladies that played this morning. Amen. It was just beautiful, beautiful music, and to the Kennedys for the passage that they read in Romans chapter 5. You know, one of the things in the Advent candle, uh, as you notice, there are three purple candles and then a pink and a white and uh, lots of different meanings, lots of different practices with the Advent candle, but as we recognize uh, the first candle as hope that Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and death, amen? And then as we go from hope to peace, that there is peace, that we have great peace in Christ Jesus who redeems us from the pit of hell so that we might be saved and we have peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And in, in, whether you practice these things at, as as a family at home, just want to encourage you as we go through the Advent Um, the practice of lighting the candles is a reminder of all of those things that Christ has done for us through God the Father. And so as we recognize those things, uh, 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 take some time to contemplate them. Contemplate them and reflect on them, uh, even as you go home uh, from our services, that you would take the time to do so. Well, I know it's been a uh, you know, one of the things about Christmas and all of this stuff that we've done so far, the reading of scripture and the songs that we've sang, they're very contemplative. They make you think, they force you to think and and to ponder. And and uh, so I'm going to apologize right up front for the way I'm going to start this message because I'm going to begin with a little bit of a comical story, but it, it really does blend itself right into the service today. And um, when after I graduated from from high school, uh, enough high school from college. Um, I was a substitute teacher for just about a year, and uh, just early on in in my life experiences as a substitute teacher, I was called from the Bethel School District to be uh, a, a band teacher for one uh, for one day. A band teacher, can you believe it? And uh, and I and so I I was hesitating, and the person who called said, "Hey, don't worry. Th- these uh, these kids are uh, amazing." Uh, uh, they they uh they 've actually won number of state contests they 've even cut their own album as a band. These kids are really self motivated and they 'll really run the class for you and so I just go oh okay i 'll do that so i you know so i uh I go into this uh, th- this this thing expecting a just expecting wonderful well behaved self motivated students. And uh, and uh, 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 and 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 so, meanwhile, as I am preparing to go there, and I'm reading through my my uh, lesson plans for the day, and uh, just preparing myself, and the first class comes in. Here's the thing that you need to understand: the students, bless their little innocent hearts, knew that there was going to be a substitute teacher that day, so they devised other plans uh, as to how they were going to have that day run. And so literally, we go into the first class, they just thought that this was going to be a day of play, a day to sit around and talk, a day with no work, no assignments. And as the Bible confirmed once again, by saying the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately sick, can anyone understand it? Out of Jeremiah chapter 17. And I forgot that going in, okay? I just forgot that going in. I forgot this uh, as I went into the situation, believing two things. That I was good enough to leave the class, to do the job, and the students love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and, and that they love their neighbor as theirself. I, that's what I really believe going into this class. Can I just tell you that it was one of the worst days in all my life as a substitute teacher? Literally, right off the block. Right out of the get-go, these kids began to, as we were in class, they had their, their, their um, instruments and uh, we, uh, we were, there were songs that they were uh, supposed to play. And uh, literally, just right out of the blocks, they were chewing balls of toilet paper in their mouths. And they began to throw it all over the room. It was stuck on the ceiling. It was stuck on students. They were throwing it at me. It was awful. It was literally awful. And, uh, and I just want you to know, it went that way for six periods. Well, at the, right at the, in the sixth period, you know, and and I did literally have to call order in every one of the classes, and there was a little bit of order as we moved forward. But my, in my last class, one of the students came up to me and said, and actually just said Mr. Hoffman I really I just want to apologize for my part in this. We knew that this is what we were going to do today. We knew that we were just going to give you a bad time. We didn't know you. It's not you, we didn't know you. We just thought we'd have some fun. And uh, we did that at your expense and I just want to say I'm sorry for my part in what we've done today. And then he got up in front of the class and said the same thing. And then he said To me, he says, I would like to help you run the rest of the class. Well, I mean, he was a great student, great, and he could actually, he had actually led the band for the teacher in the past, and and, uh, and so he helped me. Uh, He knew, folks, as we spoke last week in our series in the Advent, he knew that I needed intervention. I needed help. I needed help desperately, and he stepped in to save me. Here's what I needed. I needed a substitute. I was supposed to be the substitute, and I needed a substitute. And it's just amazing when you think about our relationship with God and our, the issue that we have with sin. Last week we spoke about our need for inter- intervention, our need for rescue, and Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came to save us. But as, as we think about this and as we reflect on this, one of the things that, that, that happens a lot, that people say a lot, some would say, well, who is Jesus? And, and why do I need him? Those questions are asked. Well, who is Jesus? And and why do I need him? And the the second verse of our theme song that we've been singing through, uh, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, um, here here are the words to the second verse of that song. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect Son of Man, in His living, in His suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man Christ the great and sure fulfillment and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand just some amazing words i one of the things that i i just want to, you to know and i want to just challenge you with this i say this every year at this time i'm telling you there is so much of the gospel in all of the christmas hymns it's amazing Honestly, our Christmas Eve service, we don't preach that day. Why? We read scripture and we sing songs that tell the entire gospel story. But it's good for us to be reminded once in a while of the small pieces, just the the small pieces, for us to be reminded of of the work of God. So the Bible teaches us that, that Jesus came as our substitute. But in hearing that, I just want you to know just... We need to throw out all of our experiences that you have either had as a substitute teacher or as a student who caused trouble for a substitute teacher. We just need to throw all of that out because Christ came as our substitute. Um, uh, So uh, 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 he came as our ultimate substitute to stand in our place, but he came to live infinitely, or if I could say perfectly, better than any of us could ever hope to have lived on our own. That's why he came. He came to do what we cannot do. He came to live the life that we cannot live. And so as we read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, we find we find Jesus Christ as the second Adam. And that is so important for us to see. The Bible tells us Um, And I'll reflect to this 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 chapter just a little bit here. But the Bible tells us that the first Adam was created by God and was placed in a perfect world to be in a perfect relationship with God. When we just use the word perfect, most of us can't understand that. Most most of us can't relate to that. Perfect. How's your relationship with your wife? Perfect. How's your relationship with your husband? Perfect. How's your relationship with your kids? Perfect. If someone said that to you, you would go hogwash. It's not perfect. It's you be better off saying broken. Okay? Yes, we're in the process of being made like Christ, but our relationships are anything but perfect. And that is the relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden. It was perfect. And their relationship with God was perfect. Can I just ask you, do you ever just ponder that? What would it be like to have a perfect relationship with God? Do 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 you think about that? In one sense, we have it in Christ. Amen? But on the other sense, we don't have it because there's still sin in us. And so there's this tension between the... The, the here and the what is yet to come are, in other words, our justification. We have been made right with God through Christ and our glorification where we will be like Christ. We live in the tension between the middle in the middle here. And so we that is the, the substitution that Christ gives us is so, so very important for us to understand. So Adam was created by God, placed in a perfect world. To, to be in a perfect relationship with Adam with Eve with with the with the creation itself and with God himself here's think about this Adam literally had it all he had everything that he could have ever needed no earthly needs and there was no separation between him and God but as we know in Genesis chapter 3, but in one act of outrageous rebellion, Adam took his life into his own hands, stepped outside of God's boundaries, and did exactly what God told him not to do. You see, he had it all, but he miserably failed, and he lost it all. And when he did, here's what happened. Sin, sickness, darkness, suffering, and death entered the world. And we just need to understand that, folks. We live in a broken world where it is stained by sin, sickness, darkness, suffering, and death itself. So the perfection of man and the perfection of the created world were shattered. Adam lived, Adam and Eve now lived under God's judgment, and the world groaned, as it were, under the weight of sin, as it says in Romans chapter 8. It's a desperate place. It's like me as a substitute band teacher. It was a desperate place to be. It's a desperate place. It is a place of great need, of great, of, of great want, of great emptiness, of great darkness. Folks, the world, you, I, we needed intervention. And whether, whether the world knows it, whether we know it, whether we did know it, we need intervention. We need rescued from sin. But I think the most important thing that, I need, that we need to say today is we need rescued from sin because there is nothing that you and I can do to change our condition. There is nothing. And folks, that, that is something that we need to be reminded of all, all the time, that there was nothing, absolutely nothing, that we could do to change our condition. In other words, the world needed, and that's what the scripture, the redemptive plan of God speaks about. It speaks about the fact that, and God knew this from before the foundations of the world, that the world would need a substitute, but not just any substitute would do. The substitute needed to be a, uh, to be special in every way so that he would not fail the test as the first Adam had. He would have to be perfect in righteousness and mighty in power or he too would fail. And so we need to understand that as God created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden, he really gave them everything that they would ever need. Why? So that if they believed in God and trusted God and followed God and obeyed God, that they would be perfect in God. But when they believed the lie that they didn't need God and they stepped outside of God's loving parameter, loving fence, loving... A moral code, if you will, then God knew that we, mankind, needed a substitute. Again, in Romans chapter uh, chapter 5, uh, uh, starting in verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Down to verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 5. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's not often that we we use Romans chapter 5 as a as, a, as an advent message, but one of the things that we need to uh, that we need to understand one of the things that we need to be reminded of is this is exactly why God came and as it says in Romans chapter five at just the right time Christ came and that is what we are celebrating that Christ himself, God himself in human form put himself into human form so that he might be that he might grow that he might live, that he might honor God, that he might obey God, that he might trust God, that he would follow God, that he was willing to do the will of God, even to the point of death, that he did it all to the glory of God so that you and I might have that perfect sacrifice. Everything that Jesus did from the first moment of his birth until his ascension to sitting at the right hand of the Father, He did as your substitute and mine. He was the ultimate, ultimate substitute. What He did in every situation, and every location, and every relationship that you will ever experience in this life, He did in your place. Every decision He made, every temptation He faced, every trial or moment of suffering that He endured, He did it on your behalf. That is something to thank God for. That is something to glorify God for and and to consider. That's why I love the fact that right on the heels of thanksgiving comes the Advent. Because it reminds us of what we're thankful for. It is important for us. It is so vital for us to, to understand these things. He never failed a single test. Never. He did not fail a single test. He faced all the ravages of life in this fallen world yet without sin coming upon him, without him choosing to sin. He was the perfect substitute. In other words, as this passage in Romans 5 says, he did everything that Adam did not do. He fulfilled God's intended plan for the way man was meant to live. That's what we have to look forward to when we go to heaven that we will now live as we should have lived, as we should have lived like like he created Adam to live. We will live that perfect life and perfect relationship with God. And so as we go into our time of communion this morning, we we recognize that Jesus is our perfect substitute, that on the cross, he made a perfect, acceptable sacrifice. And because he did this, He satisfies God's requirements. Folks, I'm I'm saying something that I've struggled with my whole life. How can I be good enough to be approved by God? I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. I have struggled with that. How How can I be good enough to be approved of by God? And can I just tell you, you can't. And it will never happen. But Jesus Christ did it for you. And that's a hallelujah, that's an amen. That is just an incredible thing to wrap your mind around. And because he did this, he satisfied God's requirement, God's standard, God's moral code. Christ has done it all. We had it all. We lost it all. Christ did it all so that we could have it all back again. He paid the penalty Our sin, so that not only did he pay the price, but folks, here's the issue not only is the penalty paid for, it is lifted. The penalty of sin is lifted from you, folks. I cannot tell you the story is funny about this my substitute experience in the Bethel school district. But here's the thing that young man that came up and filled in the gap for me on that last period was my redeeming grace at that moment in time. He filled in the gap that I could not fill in. He obviously he was a human being. Obviously he was a sinner like me, but as he confessed his sin to me as his intentions to me and as he said, "Can I just help you? Can I just fill in the gap? Can I just take this class from you and do do for you what obviously you can't do?" And he said it that way. Cuz I couldn't I couldn't lead a band. Okay? But he filled in the gap. He lifted the bondage that I was under at that point in time. I went into the office after that and told that that uh, administrator, never call me to leave band again. That's just out of my wheelhouse. But Christ fills that wheelhouse for you and I. Christ is our substitute. He is the one that steps in the gap. Jesus, the second Adam, the better Adam is our first and only hope in life and death. And because of his substitution, you and I are, um, are, are redeemed. God sent one in our place who would do infinitely, that is perfectly, better than you and I could ever do. And our salvation depends on it. Folks, can I just say our life depends on it. Your life and my life. It depends on this. The Christmas story is the most glorious stand-in story ever, the most amazing substitute story ever. Christ is your perfect substitute, amen? And so as we come together at communion, as we identify with the body of Christ, the death of Christ, and the sacrifice of Christ. Folks, you and I together are acknowledging something that had to be done in our place. Something that had to, to take our place. Someone that that didn't just fill the gap, but took it all in our place. And as, as the Apostle Paul reminds the, the church at, at, at Corinth of this, one of the things that that he reminds us of and i just want to say something here before we go into our communion time the the corinthian church was an amazing church the corinthian church had amazing spiritual gifts but the corinthian church was a very proud and boastful church they were proud in their own abilities they were proud in in what they thought they could do they were proud in in their pastors that that were over them they were they they did so many things and and One of the things that you need to understand about the Corinthian church, the whole letter of Corinthians is a corrective letter. It's a corrective letter. Because even at communion, they used to have what they call the love feast, where they would bring like a a potluck type of, of, of service that they had together before they participated in communion. And some had food and some didn't have food. And the people that had food were eating in front of the others that did not have food. And they were okay with that. There was no fellowship. There was no unity in Christ. Folks, the challenge for you and I today is that, is there unity, not just within your own relationship with God, but in our relationship with one another? And so as we come to the table, as we come to the Lord's table, it is about us being challenged. Yes, number one, are we right with God? That is the number one question that we need to Answer today, have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Do you belong to Him? Are you truly His? Secondly, then, as the body of Christ, because the body of Christ is not just about us, it's about people. When you go to heaven, you're not there by yourself. You're there with everybody else, whether you like it or not. And by the way, you will like it because there is no not like. Okay? but But there is a need for unity. There is a need for oneness. There is a need for coming alongside of each other and stepping into each other's lives. And so the apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians, and, and he says these these words. He says, um, "For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, think about that, and the night in which he knew he was going to be betrayed by one of his twelve, he took bread." In fact, that, that person was there as that happened. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What is he, what is he telling us? I am your substitute. I took your place. This is my body, which was nailed to a cross for you. I am paying the price that you deserve to pay. Then he goes on and Paul says, In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Why does it stop at just the death and not the burial and resurrection? Because we need to be reminded again and again and again that someone had to take our place, that someone's Blood, Christ's blood was shed for the remission of sin. So not only was the Lamb of God sacrificed, but His blood was shed for you and I. That's what we partake of together. That is why this this service, Family Sunday, when we participate in this, is so so very important for us. We together identify with His death, with the payment that He paid for us, the price that He paid so that you and I might be made right. So once again, we're going to invite you to come to the tables, and let me just pray as Tom is coming, and and uh, just you'll be coming to the tables. We'd invite you to come and participate. Come as a family, come as individuals, and participate. So let me just pray for this time as we, uh, as we come together at the tables. Lord, we ask that you uh, uh, would would join us, Lord, that we would sense your presence here. Lord, that's really partially what what communion is all about, that we would sense your presence, that we would know that you're here. God, we, that's what your word says. You are here, but, uh, Lord, we are, we, are, uh, we are acknowledging our need for your presence in our life. And as we partake of the bread, as we partake of the cup, God, we recognize that you, the great substitute, took our place on the cross, shed your blood so that we might be made right with you through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So God, we identify with that today. We accept what you have so freely done and so freely given to us today. Lord, we want to say thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us and demonstrating that love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place. Lord, thank you that it's not of ourselves. It is a gift from you. So, Lord, as we partake together today, Lord, we want to say thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, uh, the tables will be open, and we just invite you to come and, and uh, share together uh, as as God leads you. Come as families, come as couples individuals uh, come, and uh, Jason and uh, Tom are going to lead through uh, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, and if you want to sing along with them, you're welcome to do that as well.